All right, so we're going to move to the review of the Super Rugby AU season as a whole. Now, the way this is going to work, like we mentioned earlier in the pod, we are going to be splitting this podcast up into two. You obviously have the one that you're listening to now. And then our second episode is going to be coming out on Thursday. So this episode will be covering uh, the Force, who finished fifth, and the Waratahs, who finished fourth. That's correct. So we're going to do this in the the, uh, the order that the, uh, the Super Rugby AU finished. Brilliant. So fifth all the way up to first. And um, the pod on Thursday will be third, second, first. So Rebels, Reds, and Brumbies. That's so correct. that's it. Now, we had uh, guests who came on for each of the episodes, except for the Tars. And there were particular questions that we asked them. Mitch, what are those questions? Yeah, so we've got four questions. We asked first, was the overall performance or thoughts on the season? And give us a score out of 10 for your side. Highlights of the season was the second question. Third question, players who surprised you, both good and bad. And then the work-ons that you would like to see for 2021 was the fourth question. Brilliant. Now, as you're saying, each one of those, I recognize that none of them are questions. They are all statements. And that's <laughs> the grammatical part of my soul, but that's okay. Um, so those are the four topics or subheadings that we chat through with each of our guests. All right. So we're going to move to the Rebels now. And I've been lucky enough to be joined by one of the Rebels fanatics. We'll call him. He's uh, Dylan. Dylan's joined me all the way down from Melbourne. So how's it going, Dylan? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me on. Uh, any excuse to talk about rugby? Yeah, it's great. It's been a bit of a crazy year for the for the Rebels this year, so... It has, honestly. Uh, I was really surprised to see the season kick off the way that it did and the fact that, you know, they had to set up base in New South Wales. That was a bit of a challenge. So, it's, you know, I'm quite impressed with how the season went all, like, all together. Yeah, well, I mean, at the beginning of the year, it looked like we weren't going to get the rest of the season done and then it sort of kept going and we've... Um, they've, the boys have been away in New South Wales for a long time, so it's tough for them. Yeah, I think they said it was a total of 10 weeks or something. The Rebels tweeted out they were away for in yeah, total. That's crazy. It's such a long time. But they did quite well. So we'll, uh, we'll dive into the review session now. So you've all been following the, um, this, the theme for, the, for the, uh, this episode. So we've got four questions that we're going to focus on. Uh, first question number one will be our sort of thoughts around how they went this season. And we'll give it a rating sort of out of 10. So I'll throw this one to you first, Dylan. Uh, giving it a rating out of tens, a little bit tough because I feel like sometimes I'm a little bit hard on the rebels. I've, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a fanatic. I, I love them. I support them. I've even teased my girlfriend that I'm going to get a rebels tattoo one day. <laughs> uh, nice. I'm also quite critical of them because um, yeah. I think you know they put out some some of the best performances I've seen them play, and they've also put out some of the most disappointing this season. So I'm probably going to give it. Uh, I'll be generous. I'll go a seven. I'll go. Okay. I'll go a seven. Yeah. yeah. Uh, any thoughts around why seven? Um, look, it was. A, I got really emotional when they made the finals. Um, yep. I was nearly in tears when they beat the Force. But this is the third year in a row for the Rebels that they had a moment earlier in the season that they really could have. They could have locked themselves a final spot. Yeah. Uh, it happened in 2018. It happened in 2019, and it happened in 2020. And it's this idea that we get to that last game of the season, and that's the game that matters. It's a must-win yep. game. Yeah. And 2018, we got knocked out by the Highlanders in the last minute. Uh, last year, the uh, the Chiefs put us to the sword, and then this year, you know, it came literally came down to the 70 th- 79th minute mark yeah. of um, uh, Elof scoring that try before we guaranteed a final spot over the Force. So that's a bit pretty standard season for the Rebels, if I can say that. Yeah, <laughs> um, no, no, definitely. But, but they did put in like that performance against the Waratahs the first time in the rain might be some of the best rugby I could think of them playing. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, that was just clinical, beautiful rugby to watch. Not obviously not for a Waratahs fan, but <laughs> uh, but as a Rebels fan, watching that and just thinking, wow, this is something special. Yeah, definitely. And we'll get into that a little bit when we speak about the highlights. But um, I um, I gave them a, a six out of ten. Okay. So a little, little bit similar to what you were saying around just that the last few years they've gotten to this this point in the season where they've just let it they've they've hung in there but they've just they've left it too late a little bit um they they put some good performances in early on and i just they've been together as a team for a few years now so they've had a few players come in and out but they've had vessels for a number of years and a lot of their senior players have been there and around the the, the squad for a while now I just kind of expected a little bit more from them, particularly around the games with the Western Force. I just thought that they they really needed to put in a good performance, and both times they really only sort of came down to the wire. First time they well, played they, them, it went to first time they beat them. Yeah, they beat them in um, in extra time, uh, super time. Yeah, yeah, and then the last time when they knew that they were trying to get that that final space, you think that they'd come out with just like a desire to get that locket away early on, and they just never seemed to be able to get over that. So. For me, that's really sort of why I've, I've gone six. They've, they've had some good performances throughout the season, particularly against the Waratahs and the Brumbies. But then just consistency-wise, they're just sort of up and down. Oh, no, 100% agree with you. Um, I think there is some systemic issues at the Rebels that probably do need to be looked at. Um, yeah. It's hard because I remember saying to my dad that if they had lost to the Force, that probably would have been... Dave Vessel's the last straw. Like, yeah. yep. you know, you've had this for a while, but they make the finals and look, they, they did put in a good effort against the Reds for the most part. Then there was yeah. those moments that just those silly things happen. Like the Pattaya tried, that was a high risk one. If Pattaya doesn't take that, uh, that's a score to the Rebels. So exactly. you don't yeah. mind that high risk, but then you get the stupidity plays and you sort of go, there was just a lot of that. And I think it's hard to say, you know, like we, we could, any rugby fan in Australia can tell you how the Brumbies play. This yeah. is how the Brumbies play. Yeah. Um, you know, so much so that they're criticised for it, but hey, they won a super rugby final doing it. Keep doing it. Um, you know, up until recently, you could probably tell how the Tars are going to play. Yeah. You know, they, they had that back line. They had Falau. They had Beal. They had that magic. So that's how they played. I find as a Rebels fan, it's really hard because you, I know how they, how they should play, but they don't. Yeah. And that's where it becomes frustrating as a Rebels fan because I don't think they've built a brand. And I don't think, I think sometimes they do lack, they've got a lot of experience and talent, but I think sometimes they lack a little bit of leadership or they become too dependent. As I said, you know, we talk about the previous years, they were really dependent on Will Guinea making something happen. Now, yep. Will Guinea was one of the best players in the world. He could make magic happen. Yep. And they relied a bit too much on Matt Tamua for that this year. Matt Tamua will make something happen. And then... When Tamua wasn't playing, you noticed there was just a lack of someone sort of stepping up, grabbing the players and going, let's, this is, let's go this way, boys. Yeah, so. definitely. It, it does seem like there's a little bit of a lack of leadership there, that when their big playmakers sort of leave the field or aren't playing for whatever reason, through injury or whatever, they just they seem to lose their way a lot. And that happened this season a few times in the games, that Tamua came off early once or twice and they just sort of meandered through the rest of the game and didn't really do that much. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, and this is just a, a cheeky little one because I played in the forwards and coached forwards, but they were the only team, I think, that had a captain that wasn't a forward. That he was a, he was, it, was, it was a back. And yeah. so when, when Halepetti didn't play at fullback, Tamur was captain at yep. fly half, whereas everyone else had a forward. 
Yeah. No, you know, you've got Liam Wright, Rob Simmons, and you've also got Michael Hooper there, Alan yeah. Alatoa. And um, oh, and I suppose Pryor was captain at nine, yeah. but he can play a bit like a... Uh, but he was kind of in and out had, throughout the season as well. And they had Jeremy Thrush, who also played as a captain. For the, he was a captain of the forwards. And I think that's what they sort of lacked a bit of that leadership. Um, and I think the prime example of that really was against the Reds that uh, the Rebels, I think, have the best line out in the mm. competition. And they yep. were playing against the Reds, who statistically have the worst line out. Yep, definitely. They had won penalty after penalty after penalty, got another penalty, and then elected to scrum against probably, well, Taniela Tupo is the best scrummager in Australia. Yep. So yeah. that leadership to, to not nominate that to go, well, let's kick to the corner, let's go again, let's maul, let's get them a yellow card. That's, they lack that leadership. Yeah, and, and a bit of game, the, game awareness as well with inside of that, all of that, yeah. Yep. But it's sad that like, they, are, they, they did improve and they did put in some big efforts. And, you know, that Brumbies game, I couldn't believe that. That was yeah. just, that was something special. Um, so, no, I, 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 am, I do think it was a pos- there was positives. Yep. I just think those negatives have been the negatives for the past three years. Yeah, definitely. I think that ties us nicely into the second question. So what were your highlights of the season? I think um, I'd have to say, like, beating the force in that final game. uh, I was, yeah, I was jumping around the house. I was (laughs) in tears. Um, You know, it was a moment as a Rebels fan you've waited for for 10 years. Yeah. Um, It's that sort of, it was that moment that, that we, you know, I wish we'd done it last year. I wish we did it the year before. You've been so, so close really, for so many times and you finally pulled it off. So, Yeah, well, I think back, you know, there was that, that moment in 2018 where, um, oh, who was the winger for the Highlanders? Uh, was it Naholo? Naholo, I think it was, that did that big and shot. He, he just smashed Maddox. Yeah. yeah. And you go, if he doesn't make that hit, Maddox scores and he's thinking, yeah. you know, it's, it's game over. But yeah, and I think back to that and I think, you know, for that last 10 minutes, and I've rewatched that last 10 minutes <laughs> a few times. Because I couldn't do it the first time. I was, I was out yeah. running out of the room. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the tough, nerves yeah. kick in. I've been the nerves did kick in. Um, I also think, uh, just like I said, that, that, that Waratahs game, was just be- there was just a, a thing of beauty in the way that they played. I think that the game plan was, we're going to play this sort of way. They allowed Deegan to play. Because um, I'm a big fan of Andrew Deegan. And I, I'm glad that he got more of an opportunity. I think this yep. is probably the best. He's probably the... Best we've treated a fly half, you know, in the in a in a while. Yeah, especially a developing fly half. So particularly that he sits behind Tamur as well. Yeah, but I like that they let him play there and they put Tamur at twelve. Yeah, I think that allowed him to develop. I think in the past we've seen the Rebels have recruited big names, but they haven't yep. actually uh, worked with them enough. And and you know, you saw we'll, we'll let Will Guinea play for seventy five minutes and Ruru comes off the bench or yep. Goddard comes off the bench, but they're not developing. It's the same with. Um, who did they have last year? They had Stu Dunbar, who's now gone and playing sevens. But he, um, he barely got a runoff after you have Quaid, when you have got Quade Cooper. Yeah. So it was good that they actually gave Deegan a shot. And I'd probably say watching uh, the battle of uh, Pone Farmacilli against Taniela Tupo a few times this season was... <laughs> yeah, that was good. He, that was of, some pretty yeah, entertaining he, rugby. he came through this year and did really well, didn't he? I, yeah. um, I didn't know too much about him prior to this season. And he's just sort of really made himself a name, hasn't he? He's done really well. Yeah, well, and I think that actually probably I was talking about the highlight of that is the young, a lot of the young guys that did get a chance to come through really did get a chance to step up. I know that um, the Fox Sports commentators really criticised that, oh, the Rebels have had uh, Silly with them for three years now. They've had Hosea for three years. Why are they only now getting a shot? And it's, well, we're developing them. Yeah. Because 
I've, I've talked about this in, um, other, in another podcast and I said, I think in Australia, we have this tendency to grab an 18 year old and think that this is the next big thing we need, you know, we need this next big thing. And Jordan Pattaya is a prime example of that. You know, yeah. how many times is this kid going to get injured before we stop going? Let's wrap him in cotton wool for a bit. Let's build him up. Let's stop. You know, he's had two injuries this season. He's, in, he's got question marks around Bledisloe 1, but we're still going to play him. So I like exactly. that the Rebels, uh, you know, have been able to ble- uh, blood a few of these young blokes. A uh, guy like Cameron Orr, who's, uh, you know, they, he's not part of the development academy, but he's come through. So, yeah, the young guys this season are really impressed in my Yeah, and that's a really important point that you've mentioned because um, I think the Rebels have their system established quite well. That's something the Waratahs haven't done very well in the past, where particularly you look at Mac Mason who sat behind Bernard Foley for so many years. And I think in three years, he played something like 25 minutes of rugby and then came on for one game and just against the Sunwolves and just went to pieces. And from then on, he just never got another look in. And unfortunately we're not looks, he's not going to play super rugby again. So the fact that you guys have really kept these development players in the Academy and given them the time they need to then unleash them. And when they're, when they're ready to come through, they've actually performed really well. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely a, a highlight for the Rebels. Because uh, I, th- I think sometimes in the past, they haven't been very good with their young players. And this year, it feels like I think they have, you know, there's a few, there's a few guys that didn't get a shot this year. Um, a couple of the sevens guys that they've recruited. Um, but it sounds like some of them are going to be sticking around. So that's always a, a Yeah, that was but... a sort of a question I had. The, they've got a few big sevens named, like Lewis Holland was on the bench. We went out to their last game at, um, at Leichhardt Oval of the season against the Tars and, or their last home game. And they had a few of the sevens players sitting on the bench in sort of suits and, and gear, but we didn't see them out on the field. Yeah. So I think um, Lockie Anderson took the field in the force game, yep. uh, which I laughed at because it's the most winger thing. If you look at his, uh, uh, the photo where he's holding up the tie and, you know, congratulations, he's got perfect hair. And I thought that is the <laughs> most back debut photo I've yeah. ever seen. Um, he, so he, he came on, but yeah, they've got uh, Jarrell Skelton. Yeah. Um, and they got Lewis Holland and uh, I don't know if he still counts, but Boyd Killingworth's also yep. signed with them. Um, so I think, I think a lot of those guys signed because there was no season this year. It's a bit yep. like a lot of the sevens girls signed with yep. um, the, the, the uh, NRL women's team. Yep. Um, because yeah, there's no talking to some people about how the Olympics is going to work. Uh, these girls aren't going to get really much of a shot. And yep. I think the problem with the uh, super W was it was going to clash too much with the seven season. So that's why, you know, it's a bit unfortunate for that. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think it'll be interesting to see if these guys stick around with, um, with 15s because there's a lot of talent. Uh, you know, the Lockie Anderson touched the ball twice, but he actually ran quite clever and cut back in. So he did play like a 15s winger would, which yeah. I sort of liked. And they do bring in that, that different sort of mindset of a sevens player that they'll just run it from anywhere, which is, um, which is good to see as well. Yeah, Lewis Holland did mention that in an interview. They talked about what's the differences. And he said, you know, as a, uh, a playmaker in sevens, you've got all this room. And as a playmaker in 15s, you've really got to be quicker. Yeah. You've got to look up for that space. You've got to make decisions a lot faster. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, cool. Well, I had, um, for my highlights of the season, I had two of them. So first of all was round six when they thrashed the Brumbies in the wet. That was, a, <laughs> that was an awesome game. I, just, was, I didn't yeah. see that one coming. I just, I, I was so surprised. And, very clinical. I liked it a lot. And then um, round four, when they played the Waratahs at the SCG and just smashed us. So as a Waratahs fan, it wasn't the result that I wanted. But, you know, you can't take anything away from the Rebels. They controlled that game from the kickoff and just played the game they wanted to play and just 
everything they did work for them. So that was a really clinical performance. And that's probably the best I've seen them play for the last few in that, in that Waratahs game. So I think, uh, like, I 100% agree with you with that, that Waratahs game just was something special. I loved that Brumbies game. I, I just was blown away. I couldn't believe that. I went back and rewatched it, and not a lot went the way of the Brumbies. It just, Tom Banks had probably one of the worst games he's ever played. Um, the, the scrum didn't quite work for them. Just, it just wasn't their night. It was just one of those nights, but I think it was probably the night that fueled them to sort of go, all right, we can't let this happen again yeah um it really kicked their season off it, it did so it's just a bit unfortunate for, uh, <laughs> for everyone else because it meant that they came out all guns blazing a bit like how um the the reds did it too you know they sort yeah. of got put, put to the sword uh against the brumbies they got um got smacked by the tars and then just came out and go nah we're not going to let this happen again and then yeah and they came home really strong um definitely so yeah, and that was the other thing that sort of came through this season is that the, the Rebels really seem to be able to form at their best in the wet. They played some of their best football this season when it was torrential raining and really, really poor conditions. Yeah, no, 100%, um, which was quite surprising. I think that's why when they played Deegan at fly half, it's a guy who really cut his teeth up in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. Uh, you know, playing in Ireland, it rains, you know, 360 days of the year in Ireland. So you've got to be good in the wet. Um, I think... That's when I talk about sort of how the Rebels play is, is really, they're, they're almost a very clinical team. This is the way we're going to play. This is the set move. This is our, you know, they're a very good first phase team, offset piece. And so I think that allowed them to do that. So what was the plan? Okay, we're going to win the line out. We're going to go down, crash ball, pass to Deegan. Deegan's going to kick. And Deegan's going to put it to a certain thing. I think he had one bad kick the whole game. And so when, the, when that happens, and I think the rain allowed them to play a very clinical almost chess-like game. We move yeah. here, move here, move here. This is what's going to happen. Um, and I think they tried it against the Reds and it didn't work. But I think against the Brumbies and the uh, Waratahs, that's when it worked really yeah. well. So, yeah, definitely. No, it was, a, it, was a good, it, was a, it was a good game. So let's, uh, let's move on to the next point. So who are the players this year who impressed you? So we've got good and bad. Um, the bad's a hard one because I, I, think, I think like someone like Frank Lamani. I sort of wanted more from, but he mm-hmm. plays a very Fijian style of rugby. So there were moments that him and Tamua just couldn't link up. Tamua plays a different brand of rugby. So when your nine and 10 don't link up, it's a really ugly thing. But when you look at how Lamani also links up with Karabedi and Naisarani and they play that Fijian rugby, yeah. there was some incredible rugby from those three boys. Yeah. So he, you know, that was a bit of a low point from a you know, disappointment, but also a highlight. Um, I'd say Matt Phillip. Matt Phillip just is one of those players that just gave it all every game, just a workhorse. And it's really up, actually quite upsetting as a Rebels fan that we're going to lose him. So that's a bit, that is a bit of a tough thing. Uh, he was definitely a highlight. Um, I actually think Reese Hodge had one of his best seasons. Yep. Uh, I know he cops a lot of criticism, but I think there was a, he had relative, uh, relatively, yeah, sorry, um, he, was, he had um, quite a high level of consistency. Uh, normally, he's on the wing. He's at 12. He's at 13. He's at fullback. He's back. definitely that like, utility back. And I think that's worked well for him a little bit at the Wallabies because um, they can put him on the bench knowing that we can have a 6'2 bench. Yeah. And if he, if he wasn't 6'4 tall, he could probably come in and play 9. Um, yeah, he, just, he seems so, to be able to slot in anywhere, doesn't he? And, and do quite well. Yeah. Um, look, I don't think he's a, an out-and-out 10. I know everyone wants some... There's some talk that he could be. I don't think he is. I think yep. he is a really good fullback. Yeah. 
Um, and I think he links well with Billy Meeks at 13. Yep. Not sure that's his like, long-term position, but yeah. we'll see what the, uh, what the Wallabies think of him. Uh, but I think, yeah, he had a, uh, a pretty strong season, in my opinion. What was your, um, your thoughts around Meeks? He's sort of been in the team now for a few years. He's never really pushed for any higher honours. And he's a, for me personally, I find he's a little bit hot and cold. So I love Billy Meeks. Billy yeah. Meeks is probably my favourite player, but I think it's because he is, there's just so much to like about Billy. But in the last two games, he just did things that you went, it, it, Billy was one of those players that I think in 2018, he was in contention for the Wallabies. Yeah. And he played in that, that trial game. And he, he talked in an interview in 2019 about him. He had multiple meetings with Michael Checker, who kept telling okay. him, this is, how, this is what we want, him and Larkham. Yep. This is what we want. This is what we want. And you'd started to see after every meeting, he just looked lost. He looked yep. like he was playing for himself, which understandably he's trying to impress the Wallabies coach so we can get Wallabies selected. Yep. But when he stepped away from that, and he talked about it in 2019, when he missed out in the selection and just started playing for himself, playing, like, playing with the team, enjoying his rugby, I think it was his best. There were moments this year, in particular that Reds game, he had an open path. He had beaten Stewart. All he had to do was dive at the line. He's a strong player. And he threw a ridiculous long cutout pass that went about 15 metres forward to Corabetti. Yeah. And yeah. you go, mate, don't do that. And he did that a few times in key moments. And you go, Billy, if you're going to be this guy, we need to love you. Yeah. You can't do those. You've got to be smarter. You've got to be stronger. And be a little bit selfish. I, think, mm-hmm. I actually think sometimes Rebels players aren't selfish enough. Um, you know, we talk about someone like Adam Ashley Cooper, who... I don't think he ever passed the ball to score a try. (laughs) He always had in his mindset, I can score that. And as a Wallabies fan, you sit there and go, bloody hell, pass the ball. There was five free people. The Um, wing's open, just let it go, come on. The wing's open, just a simple pass. Or, you know, the the Falau, you can pass to the other side, is he? But I think, you know, the Rebels players are more likely to go, oh, I don't know if I should score this. I better pass it to someone else. And you go, guys, this isn't under 12s. That's right. I don't know if you have to do a nudie run at that level when you don't <laughs> score a try, but guys, just put it down. That's right. Yeah, definitely. Just back yourselves. So, Was there anyone else that you had that good or bad impressed you this season? Cameron Orr really impressed me. I was actually quite surprised that he was someone that missed out on the call up to the Wallabies. I think given how many props he's called up, I was a bit, um, I was a bit surprised at that. And um, yeah, it definitely seems like he was on the fringes of the, of the call up. Um, and he's one of, definitely one of the names that people have been saying, unfortunately, did miss out. Yeah. Fortunate um, to miss out. Yeah, no, he, he was one that I unfortunately missed out. I think um, Ulysses actually put in a really good season. Um, still had to work on some of his line-out throwing, but I think he was a lot stronger this season. Um, it was good to see him get a bit of consistent game time as well because he's had so many injuries. He's a little bit like Pattaya in that yep. he never has been able to get consistent game time in that he'd come on, he'd play a game or two and he'd go off injured and then he'd come back and he'd, play a few more games and get another injury. So Exactly. And I think um, the Rebels needed him to step up with uh, Anurangi stuck in Melbourne and yeah. not being able to play. And now he's leaving the club. Um, they really needed him to step up. And I think, I, I think he did. Yeah, I think there was a few... Um, I think uh, sort of the, the, the story of the season ended up being that there was a few of the players that kind of got injured at the end of the regular super season who then got left in Melbourne. And then as things progressed with COVID, they kind of got stuck there. So um, Lawrence was one of them. Um, Hale Petty, Ross Hale Petty. We never saw him come back. 
Um, some of those guys were really, really good and on form in the first half of the season and probably would have contributed really well to the Rebels, but they unfortunately got stuck sort of in lockdown in Melbourne. And Someone said that. And they, if you look at the players, so yeah, um, Lauren's got injured, so he had to stay in Melbourne. Um, uh, yeah, Ross Halepetti, Tom English, yeah, uh, Gus, Gus Cottrell, um, Anuru Rangi. There was a lot of starters that got left in Melbourne, so I think it was really, it was really good to see a lot of those young guys step up. I would like to see a little bit more consistency from the Rebels moving forward, which I know was yep. a question later on, so yep. we can we can touch that a bit later. But yeah, um, it was. I am impressed with how much the young guys stepped up and really played like I want this spot next week. Mm. So yeah, definitely going forward. One one player that I was a little bit disappointed about this season was Andrew Kellaway. I think he had a really strong start to the season. He was, prior to the break, I think he was the leading try scorer for Super Rugby for everyone, yep. for all the teams. And then come Super Rugby AU, I think he just sort of seemed to just drift away. I don't know whether it was the fact that um, with some of the new law variations, particularly the 50-22, and with Corabetti being the sort of winger that goes looking for the ball and likes to roam in the back line a bit, he ended up taking the position of sort of covering that back, the back line a bit more. So he yep. wasn't as much the in the opportunity to to break, make the breaks and and get those line out uh, line breaks. So um, yeah, I just I feel like that contributed to his lack of development for the rest of the season, and he just never seemed to really spark much from then on. Uh, no, I would agree with that. I, I did actually when you asked the question about the disappointments, I, I think Callaway was especially in the that Reds game. He kicked silly kicks a few times. Yeah, um, but I also remember. Uh, I think he was, he, yeah, he did get sort of caught with that, especially when you do have that 50-22 that you're then playing a little bit deeper. Um, so that did sort of keep him out of play a little bit more. I would like to see him develop. I've been a big fan of his since he was at the Waratahs. You know, you watched him at the under-20s. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad that he got a shot. I hope, I don't know if he signed for the Rebels for 2021. I hope he is. From what I, I saw, very... the, the, the talk is that he's heading off to Japan. So there was a tweet that came out a few weeks ago saying that he's going to Rico or one of the Japanese teams. Um, but then there's no, there's been no official word from the rebels that, that he's been released. So a little it bit. It is of one of the hard things. It's a hard thing being a rugby fan of, uh, with this is because there's a lot of players like there's never, there was never an announcement that Matt Phillip was leaving. It was just, there was a tweet from, uh, from Poe that, which I said, they've signed him and same thing with, with Rangi. Like there's no, we don't really cover that in the Australian media. Who's leaving, yeah, who's staying. Exactly. And you usually expect to see rugby.com post something in February with a list of all the players staying. The ins and outs. Signed. And then you go, and you oh. Go, well, yeah, oh, wow, I didn't know we signed this guy. Or yeah. you're looking at, you, you look at pre-season photos and go, I recognise him. And I remember seeing that at, um, with the Waratahs and they post a photo with Robbie Abel training with them. And I yeah. went, oh, I thought he was in New Zealand. Yeah, that's so, right. Yeah, you do get a lot of that. Yeah, um, no, definitely. Um, that was another point that sort of I've, found quite interesting with the rebels over the last few years is they just seem to um i wouldn't call it have lack of development but they sign all these big players but they don't hang around for a long time so we saw that with sort of uh will genya quade cooper now kellaway's come down he stayed for a season if he does leave that's a big loss for them um they just they don't seem to be able for whatever reason to retain those big stars long term yeah um the Guinea, from what I know, like I, again, I'm not an insider. I don't work at Rugby Australia. Uh, Rugby Australia. I don't have all these notes. I just yeah. there was an interview with Will Guinea. He did with the Rebels. And look, again, it's Rebels biased a bit, but he talked about 
wanting to stay in Australia and that decision to leave wasn't ultimately his own. Mm-hmm. And he has talked about a desire to potentially come back and play Super Rugby. So yeah. I think there probably was a little bit of a push like, no, we're not going to... Um, we're not going to be that the rugby Australia aren't going to give the top up to the rebels to keep Will Guinea. So the rebels can't afford to keep him. And he's at that age where he goes, well, I can go and make five, $600,000 a year playing in Japan. I think the same was, um, was Quaid. Yep. Um, and yeah, I think there are a lot of guys that, um, that, that can't, that sort of like someone like Luke Jones that came back for that world cup spot. Didn't yep. get it. Didn't quite gel, I think, because he, talk, he, he, he did another interview where he talked about the team that he left in 2016 wasn't the team that he came back to. I think yeah. only three players from that squad were still there. Yeah. So he sort of went, well, all my mates aren't here. Maybe it's time to, to move back overseas and chase that money again. Um, yeah, the, the Rebels one is a, is a weird one with, a, with a, who they can keep and who they don't. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Consistency is a big thing. And so I do think that, like, um, talk, you know, which, we, again, I'll, I'll talk about a bit more in the 2021 uh, yeah, yeah. section. I think that they do pick some of these, um, these players and they, try and they try and give everyone a shot, but then they sign. So, you know, you look at these, like you said, all these sevens guys, but then you go, Lewis Holland's probably going to play 12. But when you've got Tamua, Meeks, um, even Deegan, uh, is he going to push someone, someone like that out? Yeah. Um, you know, Jarrell Skelton, is he really going to push out um, uh, Izzy Nicerani? Probably yeah. not. Um, or, you know, then you look at the development of some of these young, you know, the other young back rollers. So I do think they've kept a few. I think it's yeah. just sometimes there's a, probably a little bit of greed in Australia where they go, I didn't get picked for the Wallabies. Now's my shot to go and make some money. And there's a lot of money to be made over. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you can't, know, you, you look at, you can't fault them you look for at that. The London Irish, London Irish are, uh, <laughs> Half the Wallaby squad play for London Irish now. We could certainly call it London Australia. Might as well, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's green. It's half there. It's, it's green half and white, there, yeah. so they're half there. Yeah, yeah, no, awesome. I think that um, that definitely ties us into the next question, which will be the last point we'll we'll touch on for the Rebels. But what would you like to see? The, well, what would do you think are their big work ons for twenty twenty one? I would say a couple. There's a couple of things. One, I would say belief. Um, I think one thing that really stuck out to me during the lead up to the final was Brad Thorne really created this mentality with the Reds of it's our turn. We yep. deserve to be here. It's us. Why not us? Like he always had that, you know, why not us? Yeah. All right. We're a young squad, but why not us? And you really see that in um, the second row, Angus Blythe, the one that looks like Brad Thorne. Yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, he really carries himself like that. Um, yep. A lot of them do, you know, yeah, where where that's they don't they, it's not arrogance. It's, like it's self belief, yeah, confidence and belief in their in their structures and in their in their processes, yeah. And so I think a lot of the rebels, it was well, we're the underdogs. We've done it tough, but and so we're almost thankful to be there. I think that's definitely a point a, that Vessels has said a few times this season is that we are the underdogs and we have to scrap for every shot that we get. Yeah, but I don't think they do, and I think. Like, if you go back and watch some of the best tries of the Rebels, they are done off first-phase play. That should be, when you've got that back line, yeah. it should be win the line out, hit the nine, hit the 10, do a wrap inside ball to Corabetti. There's just, and they do it. They've, and that's where Callaway scored so many tries in the early part of the season. When they do it, they can score long-range tries. They, yeah. I think last year they had, they were number one in the competition for long-range tries. Yep. But they don't do it consistently. And I feel like 
this would have been actually the year to do it when you think about uh, that 50, you've got five times they just kicked and a winner slid across and you go, well, go through the hands. Oh, you still there? Um, Seems like it's dropped out a little bit. Yeah, it, it, it has. I've still got the recording thing coming through. Oh, no, so I got you now. I got you now. Background's dropped it. Can you hear me now? Uh, I'll stop the video uh, for a second. We'll see how that goes. I, can, I think we're back. Can you still hear me? I can hear you. Yep. Can you hear yeah, me? Yeah. Yep, I can. Yep. All right. Uh, we'll start. Do you want to, when do you want to start? Oh. What's, the, what's up in there? I guess we're just on we're just on audio now, so that's fine. Um, yeah. So, what um, were there any that's other points? Share screen. Um, I think one thing I would like to see is um, a bit of pick and stick. Um, pick your best fifteen, and let's stick with it. Uh, let's not chop and change and give everyone a go. Um, let's pick the best team. I think there was very few players. There was a match that uh, that um, Matt Phillip got dropped to the bench, but he'd been playing his best rugby. And I go, why? To give Isai Hungana a, a starting spot? No, it needs to be... The only reason Matt Phillip gets dropped for that game is that Isai Hungana has pushed him out. And I don't feel like the Rebels have enough of that killer instinct in pushing players out. And mm-hmm. um, I feel like, you know, someone like Famosili starts, goes to the bench, dropped, back to the bench, dropped, starts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there were very few players in the Rebels squad that really had consistency. And I think there was one week... It might have been, yeah, there was one week that only Hodge had kept the same position. Right. On oh, no, a Corabetti, yeah. sorry. Only Corabetti had kept the same position. That meant that it was a cha- there was changes to every single backline position. And yeah. I think that that, that that level of inconsistency hurts them. Yep. I think that level of consistency is what's built a powerhouse at the Reds. Yep. That Reds Definitely. forward pack is a, is, is a dominant uh, forward pack because there's that consistency. And yep, they've had to have injuries. Injuries happen, and, but whatever you think of their, their hookers, they're both competing for that starting spot. I don't feel like um, either of those, um, you know, either of them safe. I feel like Alex Murphy could take Brendan Payang or Amosa's spot with a good game. But mm. I feel like at the Rebels, it's, well, we've, we've got to give this guy a shot. And so let's put him in and, and, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't, that back, the uh, back row changed just way too many times. And that, they've got some talent in that back row. They've got guys like Brad Wilkin, who is uh, phenomenal um, around the breakdown. They've got uh, Richard Hardwick, another great, um, great player. You've got Michael Wells, who ball in hand is one of the fittest players in that field. Yeah. And, and even Josh Kemeny, who I was a bit skeptical of. I thought, oh, yeah, here's another shoot shield boy being signed to the super rugby club. They'll give him one match and he'll get dropped. But, even he worked his guts out to try and keep that spot. Yeah. But it was just really unfortunate to see a lack of consistency. So I, I think that's something I would really like to see next year is not look, you know, for me not to look at the team announcements on a Thursday and go and be surprised. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, so we've got, and the players play their best positions and stay there and develop that sort of bond between the other, the other positions and get some sort of go forward consistency. Definitely. Yeah, and look, there's going to have those times that you're going to need to try something new and, uh, and you might go, okay, well, we had this game plan. It didn't quite work. So um, maybe you do, do, you do swap Tamura and Deegan and you go, Deegan's going to play better in, this, in these conditions. I understand that's a, that's a factor. So yeah, maybe you play that game play, that set up. But there was just a lot of chopping and changing and I don't think that allows players to fully develop. But I also think it, it doesn't allow players to sort of build a little bit of loyalty. So yeah. you've got... 
guys like someone like a um, uh, a Kabus Elof who gave his guts when he played, but there was a little bit, you know, he's he's in, he's out, he's in, he's out. Mm. What's going to keep him here? What's going to stop him from going back to South Africa or going and chasing money in Japan? Or, and that's where I think when you ask the question about player retention, I think you start to see that second, the second wave of guys that might be on the bench but then get pushed out. That they don't feel the love as much. Yeah. They're in there. Some of that happened to Luke Jones. He was a starter. He was on the bench. He came, you know, went to six. Off, he went to the second row. It is really hard to build that consistency. And I think that was a problem we also saw with the Michael Checker era. Definitely. That lack of consistency hurt yeah. the Wallabies in the long run. It's always just seemed like they were looking for that miracle player to come in and fix everything. Um, and there just wasn't one. Checker's style really did lend itself to the idea that we're prepared for any situation and anyone should be good enough. To, the idea that anyone in that team should be good enough to step up. But I think that when players aren't sure what their position's going to be the following week and are they going to be off the bench or are they going to get dropped, I think it, hurt, it can mess with players mentally. Definitely. And, it, and there are some that will thrive in it. And there are some that you just sort of naturally go, like, they're never dropping Matt Tamua. But his game style changes when you play him at 12 to t- uh, from 10 to 12. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What, are your, um, what are your thoughts on Vessels? Um, I think he's a, he's a very good coach for a young coach. Mm-hmm. I think he needs to get tougher. Yep. And I think that's part of the consistency. I think, you know, when we've, we've played, you know, you look at uh, schoolboy rugby and that usually is everyone gets a shot. You know, if you're the bench player, you're still probably going to get 20 minutes of rugby because they're just instinctively going to pull someone off the, um, the field. Um, I, I did some coaching at uh, my local rugby club's third grade last year, and that we had that. You know, people have turned up to training. We're going to give everyone a shot. Yeah. Um. Uh. Because that you know we wanted to show a bit of love. This is professional sport, so you can't show everyone that level of love. Um. You can't reward every single player in the squad because there's just too many. Yeah, and I think that I think maybe if he leaves Super Rugby, goes somewhere else, cuts his, t- you know, goes off to England, maybe coaches in South Africa again. Um, he'll get a little bit tougher. Yep. And then he can come back and, and maybe he will be that, that next level coach. Uh, I just don't think... I think following on from Tony McGann, Tony McGann was almost very clinical. Yep. He, was, he was a great coach for under-20s. And I think Vessels is probably the guy that... Or, you know, uh, sorry, McGann's probably a really good under-18s coach and Vessels is probably a really good under-20s coach. Right, okay, yep. We need that hard-nosed next level coach. And I, look, you need to give him time. So... One of the comments I'll make about someone like Brad Thorne is consistency. Brad Thorne just, if you'd sacked him after fir- the first season when they performed poorly, well, you don't end up with where you're at now. So you do need that time. I'm not sure Vessels has got that next level that someone like Brad Thorne does. Yeah. I hope I'm wrong, but next year will be a, a test for it because not only do we need to make finals, we need to win a final. Yeah. So I, I haven't heard if Vessels is around for another year. Is, that, is he on for 2021 still? Uh, yeah, he is. So he has a he he signed a contract extension last year um, because it was going to make him the first coach to coach four seasons with us. Okay. So he's on for next year. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see. See if he can put some of these things into um into action. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. No. It's a, it is an exciting time. Um, and as a as a Melbourne fan, it did. It was actually really refreshing to hear, especially you know from guys like yourself saying that they went to watch the games. Yeah. And I think that's actually been a real positive out of Super Rugby AU. I think it did actually do more for the fans. And I think you did have people who were going to games, especially in Sydney, 
like the Force Rebels probably wouldn't have gotten that big of a turnout, but it was good for people to go, you know what, I just want to go and watch some rugby. Yeah, let's go watch some first grade rugby. Exactly. And I feel like there's a lot of people who just got back into it and it wasn't, it wasn't sort of... It, so I'm really all for this competition going forward. Yeah. Um, I leave the Kiwi politics out of it. Leave the South African politics out of it. Let's just keep doing what we're doing because it's fun. And the best and, part is that someone thro- throws up the, the trophy at the end of the year. That's like... We've gone so many years now with South African winners and always New Zealand winners and we don't get anything. It's just so great to actually have a, a completion at the end of the season and someone wins it, Australian, which I, I think is the best part. Yeah, no, 100%. It was exciting, you know, cheering for the Brumbies. Uh, you know, I don't want to watch um, the Crusaders play the Lions again and go, I really don't care who wins this. Yeah. I was sitting there going, no, nah, the Reds knocked us out. I'm cheering for the Brumbies tonight. <laughs> yeah. I also awesome. have a signed David Pocock jersey on my, on my wall, so that would instinctively made uh, the Brumbies my other team. <laughs> nice. Nice. You picked a good second team. Cool. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, well, I think that sort of wraps everything up. Was there any other points or anything you wanted to say about the Rebels? No, just that um, it, was a, it, was a, it's a, it was a great result for rugby across the board, given the year that we had. It was great to uh, be able to put on some rugby. Uh, obviously, we, can't, we don't have any club rugby down in Melbourne at the moment, so yeah. you know, missing, missing hanging out with the boys. But uh, it was great to, um, to still have that, and it was great that we got to include the force uh, – and going forward, I do hope we get to expand it and potentially have someone like the Fiji Drua yeah. um, come on board and, you know, and can grow a new competition. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I was, I was, it was great. And I think it was, showed really promising signs for uh, Australian rugby. Yeah, definitely. I, um, yeah, I just, I thought the Rebels, it was good to see them get that finals, that first finals um, spot. So get the monkey off the back and hopefully they can, do good things in this off season and come together and um, under vessels. If he's got one more year, this really needs to be his year where he pulls something out of the hat and, and, and wins something. So yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to put together next year. I'll be really intrigued to see who, how, uh, how they go recruiting in the off yeah. season. Cause there's just a few spots they need to recruit. And if you look at someone like the force signing Tavita Kirandrani and yeah. uh, Tom Robertson and now Rob Carney, um, that's uh those are some big names that they've signed. And I think it'd be really interesting to see if, can the Rebels sign maybe some leaders? Yeah. Some, a, a leader in the forward pack, uh, an experienced prop or an experienced second rower, you know, someone 29, 30, still has a couple of seasons in them, so they're not a gun for hire, but get a bit more of that maturity and leadership around the field. Definitely. That'd be good. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, thank you for joining me, Dylan. It's um, been good to have a chat. And uh, we'll move on now to our next team. All right. And now we're going to move to the Queensland Reds. And joining us tonight is Mitch Evans, known as Rev. And he's going to be kind of the resident expert on the Queensland Reds, considering both Mitch and I are pretty like one-eyed Tars supporters. So um, Rev, why don't you say hi to everybody and tell us why you are the person we're chatting to about the Reds. Uh, G'day, Ando and Mitch. It's great to be on. And... Look, I've been following uh, your podcast for a while and I thought, you know what, I'm a, a diehard Red supporter. I've got the, the stats man uh, in my uh, group of mates. You know, we've been doing our draft rugby comments for ages and I'm, I'm sort of the go-to for all things uh, Reds rugby. I'd like to think so. 
uh, yeah, happy to jump on and offer some insights if I can. Brilliant, Love mate. It. Well, it's great to have you on board. Thank you. Uh, thanks for coming. And basically what we'll do now is I'll just introduce a bit of an overview of the red season. So obviously they made it to the grand final before falling short against the Brumbies. But in the regular season of eight games, they had five wins, one draw against the Rebels in round two and two losses. So five, one, two. They ended up finishing third behind the Brumbies, the Rebels and the Reds. Beat the Rebels 25-13 in the qualifying final and then lost overall 28-23. to Finishing the season with a points difference of plus 43, which would have been a lot higher except for the absolute drubbing they had by the Waratahs, which uh, uh, Mitch and I both happened oh, to be at. That was one of the best game. games. It was great. And you know, we can gloss right over that match too. I think that... Um... You know, nothing's been said about that one. We'll, we'll <laughs> no, we can actually, leave that one be if you want. <laughs> actually, this is a bit of an ambush. We're going to go into detail about that game. Mitch and I have presented, ten, have prepared ten minutes soliloquies about that in individual game. So be prepared. Thank you. It's going to be good. All right. So uh, first question, we're going to run through kind of four main topics like we've been going through so far. Overall performance and thoughts. So basically, what's your score out of 10 for the Reds? For the- Look, I was thinking about this and one bit of advice I always got given when I was ranking out of 10 was just eliminate seven as an option. because it's, <laughs> it, it, it's too neutral. It's, it, it's a bit nice, but also, you know, not great. And so I thought, well, are they more deserving of a seven and a half or a six and a half? And... <laughs> Probably settled on seven and a half. Okay. Just mm-hmm. because I think going into this season, there would have been a lot of fans uh, and just rugby uh, spectators in general probably thinking that the Reds would come second. They were probably the second best team coming into it just based off a few games and they'd looked pretty solid. So I think just looking at the roster, a lot of people probably have them at second or third. So where they finish is probably about as expected, you know, playing a little better than maybe they might have expected. But a pretty, a pretty expected finish. I would have thought for uh, a lot of Reds fans. Good mate. Did you um? So that so you got a seven point five out of. T- when you think back to the actual Super season itself, you have some pretty strong performances early on. Well, right before the break against the Crusaders, just falling short because of the woeful kicking oh, efforts, and yeah, then yeah, it was it was rubbish. Um, and then the what was it, the Sunwolves game where they absolutely pumped them. So there was a lot of high expectations. In a way, I'm thinking it's they really should have been targeting second at the yeah. lowest in my thoughts. Mitch, what do you what do you reckon on that point? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I actually gave them an eight Ooh, overall. Okay. I, uh, I thought they did. They pulled out a few more um, stops than people were, I think, initially expecting. I don't, with the season going, I don't think they were really expected to beat the Brumbies, even though it was at home at the end of the season, and to do it so well. So that's what gave me that point, the, the additional point. So eight. Um, I think that's really fair to have that as the uh, option there, just because they had been doing, you know, exceptionally well, I thought, for large chunks of the season. But it was that 45 12 uh, loss to the Tars that you mentioned that did drag it down for me yep. just because, you know, you take that out of the equation. It's a tight loss to the Brumbies. It's a draw to the Rebels that they probably should have been a little bit, uh, you know, more structured and a little bit more clinical with that game. A bit but more composed. A bit more composed because all the other matches, I was really impressed as a Reds fan. Like I was really happy to watch those games and there was a lot to be proud of. But yeah, that 45-12 loss to the Tars, it, it really takes away so much because it, it's not a close loss. It's not um, really indicative of how good their defense was for the majority of the rest of the season. So 
That was the only thing that tied down, but I think 8 out of 10 is, you know, a fair score. for them. And Rev, I'll throw it straight back to you. Awesome. Look, for me, it really was just seeing how good that starting 15 was. Um, in particular, the 19-3 win over the Rebels. I think that probably kick-started that. Well, they did kick-start their run of four wins on a row, but it was just so clinical. Everything they did, uh, they held out pretty much, I think it was 65% of possession from the Rebels, if not a bit more. Uh, they couldn't score any tries and just they capitalized so well. They, they did what the Australian team sometimes haven't done, which is when there is a you know a chance to score, actually taking it. Um, so I think for me, that was the most excited I'd been watching one of the Reds matches. Even though they scored more against the Force next week and the Brumbies win was probably a little bit more impressive. Um, that 19-3 win over the Rebels was probably the highlight for me. That was the win in the rain, wasn't it, with the huge defensive effort that they put in? Yes, it and just very reminiscent of that, um, the Wallabies match against Wales from 2015. Yeah. They just, Wales had the ball that uh, pretty much entire game. It was just, you know, tackle after tackle. And watching the Reds do that, granted the Rebels' attack wasn't, you know, stellar. Um, I, I just thought that was the most impressive performance that they'd put out uh, this year. And they, they've probably beaten that since with that Brumbies match, but that was the turning point for me. Yeah, and I think that's a fair enough. It's a very valid statement considering the just the really shock upset that was the Waratahs' loss. I mean, Mitch and I might joke about it and kind of talk <laughs> it up a bit, but the reality is we were sitting there at the stadium, pretty flabbergasted by the whole thing, just really surprised at what was unfolding. And how it just kept coming. Yeah, it's like surely, surely oh. it's going to click any second now. Like, it, no, they scored again. What? Yeah, and so I think you're right in what you said before, Rev, that this is just that was just an aberration in the season. And um, we, we've spoken about it in the past, saying maybe it was Jordan Pataya's father's loss had a much, much greater impact than mm. what we could have thought. Because beforehand, they were playing pretty well, but afterwards, it just galvanized them forward. So, yeah, I think that's a really good t- uh, turning point or highlight of the season. What about you, Mitch? Did you have anything in particular for that? Uh, I just said basically that they, they made the final, so that's got to be a highlight. And it was <laughs> yep. it was pretty standard. They needed to get there. Like that, if they didn't make the final, they would have had a bad season going in, being the the team that they are in the, this competition. Um, they didn't. They played okay in the final. We have spoken about that, so um, don't need to go too much into that. I also was I was really impressed with their performance in round ten um, against the Brumbies. So I I didn't expect them to pull off a victory so well. Um, so for me, definitely that's the highlight of their season. Brilliant. Okay. Now let's move on to the fun stuff where we get to get to talk up players because we all love doing this. So we're going to ask now players who surprised you. Now that can actually be talking the player up or talking a player down. We don't usually try and bad mouth players on here, but acknowledging a loss of form or something like that is just as valid. That's okay. Um, so Rev, were there some players who surprised you either good or bad? Yeah, I was trying to think through and because the Red Seas were so good and the starting 15 pretty much, you know, you could throw a lot of them into a Wallabies jersey later on in the year and not be too upset with it. But um, I think for me, the big standouts were uh, firstly, Dow Gurner, just to be able to come back from, you know, his horror start of the year where he had the trial match and got, I think it was five weeks suspension. Yeah. yeah he missed the start of the actual season. So, I thought, well, it's going to be another year wasted. But he came back in the Super Rugby AU and really dominated and probably has cemented himself a wing spot in the national team, you'd, you'd think, just based off of his form. So he, he was one of the highlights. And then I just want to choose one from the Ford pack, Fraser McWright. When he came in, we really constantly hype up young players in the, uh, you know, the under-20s and say, oh, you know, future Wallabies captain. Um, he had 
all this smoke went off his ass from a really early point. But mm. I, I think he, he deserved all the hype. Like, he came in and he really dominated some of those games. He gave away a few penalties. But I, I think he's really, you know, a player that we could build. Well, actually, the whole back row we could build around for the next few years with the Reds. That was part of that back row realignment. Um, was that just again in the Rebels game, the nineteen three Rebels game, where they they reshuffled the back line? Is that the game? Yeah, because they they had Scott Young at six and yep. Liam Wright at seven, and th- yep. that had its benefits. You know, um, Scott Young's really abrasive and it's sort of like having um, you know a slightly smaller version of Blythe out there, just two mongrels that want to get into it. But um, you having the dual breakdown presence of Mc, uh, yeah McWright and Wright was really pivotal for the season I think you know it's, it's something that the Reds and probably even in future the Wallabies could really build around especially when Wright has enough height um, to be a line out jumping option he's never going to be like a number one choice someone like uh, Fardy is was tall enough to be able to do that role really well or Hannigan even but he is an option to be boosting the line out so yeah I think McWright's a good call with that uh, to be honest the first thing I did when I saw the um Wallaby's squad get announced was just check Liam Wright's height and check Fardy's height and just see what the difference was. And there is enough that it's uh, enough of a gap that he can't take the same role. But I, I would love for him to get in there because even he got a few line out steals against the Brumbies in the final. And it is a handy option to have there. Mm, definitely. Mitch, over to you. Um, so are we going, is that it? Like, are we looking at good and bad or? Uh, why don't we just stay with good and then I'll throw back to Rev if okay. he has any players that didn't perform. Yeah, okay. So um, I was really impressed with Hunter Paisami this year. I think uh, this is one of the... For me, it was his standout year. I, being a Waratahs supporter, watched a few games, but mostly when it was just the Waratahs playing them and don't remember him doing too much last year. Uh, but this year, he's really burst onto the scene and he's definitely pushed into the Wallaby squad and I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do. Um, he's really also pushing for that 13 spot in the starting Wallaby side. So given that uh, Jordan Bataille is potentially injured, that he's had a really great season. Um, outside of that, I was really impressed with James O'Connor as well. I think he's definitely shaped up to be the, the form 10 of the, of the Wallabies team and of Super Rugby this year, if you look at Tamua playing 12. So both of those guys. And then Fraser McWright was just incredible. So, yep. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Um, Rev, any players that didn't perform for you to the way you were hoping? There was probably one that stood out, um, and, and not that I was even having super high expectations of him, but I thought in 2019, Bryce Hegley was a, a bit of a saviour for the back line, just in that he could step in at 10 or 15 really comfortably, and even you know at 12 or on the wing if you really needed him to. Um, and he had a great boot in a lot of matches last year. He seemed to have a lot of pace, and I thought, oh, he's a great option to have either as a bit of a utility player for the bench or, you know, if there's enough injuries, if he had to start him, he'd be very happy to. But I just feel this year, he probably, when he got his chances to come on, didn't quite have the same pace or the quite quite the same effect that he had last year. And mm-hmm. it was really noticeable in the final with Patea getting injured so early uh, and Hegarty being the uh, back that replaced him. There was just no punch. Um, and, and not that replacing Patea is an easy thing to do, but um, yeah, I, I just think Hegarty probably didn't have the same form that he had last year. And it was just a bit of a shame when we'd lost Isaac Lucas. We kind of needed someone to, to have that spark off the bench. Yeah, I've thought that the um, the reserve back threes are pretty weak. When you bring Sorovi yeah. onto the wing and then Hegarty in to replace any other back, 
I'm, I don't really see the value that either of them offer beyond or as a counterpoint to any of the starting 15. So the drop-off from McDermott to Sarovi is really big. It's huge. And um, yeah. I just don't understand how he wasn't basically in a starting uh, McDermott wasn't in a starting squad every single game. Uh, can I actually ask you that? As a, as a Red supporter, why wasn't McDermott, in your opinion, starting like the whole season? There was a lot of talk about it because he... Thorne made the same decisions in um, the Super Rugby season before the AU started, and it didn't make any sense. He did it against Crusaders. He's, he did it, I think, twice in the Super Rugby AU comp. Um, for some, though, just sort of as, you know, trying to give the other players some minutes because uh, Malalua and Saravi aren't terrible players, but every time you see them play, McDermott just runs rings around them. You know, like, they really should have been looking at him more as a, a Tupo-style player that played the full game even though you had a, you know, capable reserve on the bench. Mm. Mm. Mitch, um, what do you think? Any players that didn't stand out for you? That ties in really nicely because I had Moses Sarovi on my list of players yeah. that didn't quite live up to potential. Um, I just, yeah, he he had a fair bit of game time this year, but he just never seemed to do much or have much impact when he was on, particularly when he came in in the last 10 minutes in the final. He actually sort of slowed the ball down more than anything and, and led to more mistakes by the Reds than... Mm give them that go forward, even in that crucial time when they were drawing close to the scoreline and they actually had the momentum back their way. He sort of just changed that. So wasn't really impressed by Sorovi. Um, Brandon Pangaramosa is another one. I think his line out throwing has just been atrocious for the majority of the year. And for someone who's a super rugby level hooker and with a few caps to his name as well, he should be better than that. Um, so yeah, I just wasn't that impressed by him. The player that I think um, kind of, this is a hard one for me because I'm such a fanboy, but James O'Connor, I love him to bits and his fairy tale like redemption story is just something I love to follow. But I've thought that he at times was a bit, he kind of disappeared at times. Like a journeyman, yeah. Yeah, he just didn't seem to take a few of the... um, Few of the games with the by the scruff of the neck that I would hope for, and I really am disappointed with the decision that he would have been a part on, a part of in that kind of 75th minute of the final to not go for the kick. I would have thought that the experience he's brought from playing so many internationals, playing overseas in France and in England, and just having being being the wise old head in that team, even though he's not that old yet, um, just. I was hoping for more from him, even though he didn't have a bad season. Like I'd be giving him a 7.5 or something like that, but I was hoping for like a nine. Um, and for the player that's going to probably be the starting 10 for the Wallabies, uh, I, just, I just wanted a little bit more from him, despite the fact that he still played pretty well. Um, yeah. is, that, is that controversial? I don't know. Well, I, I think it's really fair because he, he had some great games where, you know, he was leading the competition in try assists and try involvements by a fairly long way, I think. But then he balanced that out with some really average, just useless kicking. Like he'd kick in field. It didn't seem to have any chance of finding the sideline. Um, and there weren't really big kicks either. It wasn't as if it was a resodge, you know, trying to just clear. He was really just popping it 40 metres downfield for no real effect. And it's something you could get away with in Super Rugby AU, but it's something I hope Rennie sort of coaches out of him if he's going to be the wall of his team. I noticed in the um, in the final that a few of the times when he was kicking, he was getting mega distance on it in the final. But I fully agree that a lot of the time when he's when he's rushed and having to make a snap kick and he does one of those aimless ones, he just doesn't have any distance on it. Mm-hmm. So I wonder yeah. if 
with all the work that he's been doing with um, Dave Alfred or Dave Alred um, on his kicking game, I just wonder if he's those short aimless ones are a reversion to type under pressure and that when he has yeah. the space and the time to go through and remember his technique and his new motion he can get that extra distance and um accuracy on it but when he's pressured he just reverts i don't know mm, i wonder yeah. if that's a read well why don't we move on and- i've got a i've got one last one i got a bit Ooh. of contentious contentious controversial one is uh jordan pataya is potentially yeah. on my he sort of falls between the two He's like halfway between the good and the bad. Like when he's on fire, he's an incredible player. And we don't, in Australian rugby, we don't have a player that can produce as much from nothing as he can. But in saying that, he just gets injured so much and he's so injury prone. The fact that he's pulled up another injury in the final, we've really got to start asking questions is how long is he going to sustain playing at this level? Because he had so much time off this year and then he came back from injury, played two and a half, three games. I think. Um, and then he got injured again. And now he's, we don't know exactly whether he's going to play in the first few rounds of the Bledisloe, but um, the fact that he's hurt himself again, just really questions whether he has that, um, that worth to coaches to keep selecting because he's just going to have that. You'd have that in the back of your mind that he's going to be sitting on the sideline for the majority of the season. Yeah. Rev, what do you say to that? Well, it's completely fair because when he's when he's on, he's probably the best attacking player left in Australia. You know, with Karavi gone, um, I'd say when he's when he's playing, when he's healthy, he's the best attacking threat we've got. Um, but uh, I'd like to see how many minutes he played in Super Rugby AU. You know, across ten games, I'd be surprised if he had you know three full games worth of minutes. He he got injured so often. Um, it, it's really something that you just need to wrap him cotton wool for a while, let him do his rehab and get back because. We finally saw the first full season of Jordan Ulysses playing yeah. you know, Super Rugby because mm. he it was constant. He was in the same boat for a few years of, you know, playing two or three games and then injured, come back two or three games injured. Uh, you just hope the potato can actually string some games together because I agree if he's if he's playing, you've got to pick him. Um, but yeah. if he's not healthy, you don't want to start him with a, you know fifty fifty shot that you're going to have to replace him after thirty minutes. Yeah, definitely. Just speaking to, I'm just quickly looking up some stats as we're chatting now. You know that Bryce Hegarty is a top scorer for the Reds this season? I wouldn't have picked it. <laughs> Point scorer? <laughs> Point scorer, yeah. Well, so yeah. It's probably because he's, he's probably got the highest um, accuracy kicking. Yeah, that might well be it. Uh, anyway, I just thought that was quite funny. And then Jock Campbell uh, coming in and Tate McDermott. Uh, so anyway, um, what we might do now is move on to the work-ons and looking forward for 2021. So let's pretend that the internationals aren't coming. We're just talking about kind of Superland. And uh, I'll, go, I'll throw over to you first, Mitch. What do you think are the work-ons for the Reds in 2021? Okay, so they need to find a backup nine that can fill that void between Tate McDermott and sort of Sorovi because at the moment they've... Tate McDermott's brilliant and he's playing so well and he can just spark this team. But when he's not there they go to pieces. And if he, if he gets replaced, which we've, we've said on this podcast that he shouldn't, but, or he gets injured, they've really got no backup that's of quality. So they really need to get someone in and just give them some game time and give them some um, experience and exposure to the team to be able to gel and fill that void. Um, I definitely think they also need to find a, a better hooker that's got a bit more accuracy in his throwing because the Reds have just been, their lineup has been abysmal this year. Um, and I mean, you could argue that it's not always the thrower, but 
yeah, I just I I don't think the Reds hookers stocks are, are doing quite enough at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if losing the kind of two starting uh, locks during the break has <laughs> dramatically impacted their lineout uh, accuracy and percentage. Um, I imagine it, it's got to be hard having uh, Salakai Loto and who is it Blythe? Who Blythe? I guess was the starting lock yeah. uh, at the start of the season. Um, but yeah, losing losing those two would have hurt their line out pretty hard. But Rev, why don't I throw it over to you? Uh, yeah, I I had the halfback scan as an option as well. Like that, That's something that they need to build the depth in. And I'd say in general, one of the things they really need to work on is just building that depth because their starting team looks great. It's really just a 16 to 23 where there's probably only two or three players in that list that, you know, could probably start for other clubs. The other ones, you do really have quite a dip in talent as you mm. replace. And I think they saw that a fair bit with the final where yeah. not everyone on the bench actually saw minutes. Um, but specifically, I think the issue that I had with the reserves and even with the starting opposition was uh, loose head prop. I don't think we've got a solid loose head prop in there, or at least one that's been playing consistently well. Because I know JP Smith is pretty safe. He's you know, been around the blocks for a while and he, he can do a great job when he's there. And there was a lot of, you know, Sockman to Harry Hooper. I think he started five of the games this year. Yep. Um, but then splitting game time between uh, Dane Zander, uh, Straker, uh, Nasser got a bit of game time, even though he's also used as a hooker. And then uh, Falemi, like, there were just so many props that came into the job and, you know, had a go at doing it that none of them really sort of grabbed by the scrub and said, yeah, this mm. is my position. I, I deserve to be starting here. And I, I just think we haven't really filled the hole of losing slipper. I wonder, so if I'm just going to put this out, put you both on a spot here, but let's just say that Super Rugby AU is what we go with next season, yep. which it's kind of looking likely that's what it's going to be. Yep. And let's just say that we don't have the Sun Wolves or anybody else join in and it's just the same five Aussie teams. Where, uh, and I'll go to Mitch first and to Rev, where are you placing the Reds for next season, first to fifth? First. First? So you reckon yep. they'll be pipping the Brumbies? Yep. Okay, cool. Rev? I think they've... Okay, do I need to explain why? Or uh, yeah, come on. Yeah, I think they've, this team has shown enough um, desire to get there this year and push it on. Um, they, they pushed the Brumbies in the final, even though uh, when it came down to the, the final score. So I just think, I don't know what the Brumbies, um, who they've still got on their books and who's leaving that kind of thing. There's a few players that are in a little bit of limbo at the moment. So I think this Reds team, if they can stick together, they definitely have the skill and the ability to push it up. Um, if there's a few things that uh, impacted their season, injury was, was one of them. If they can fix that and not have those key injuries, I think they beat the, the Brumbies on their best day. Okay, cool. Rev, over to you. I, I think, um, yeah, Mitch has noted by saying that on their best day they can. I'd still probably have them second just based off the squad. I know that the, uh, the Reds had some great games and you know they looked the best at the back end of the season, but the Brumbies squad is just so strong at the moment. I think the only big loss at the moment for them seems to be um, Kieran Dryne going to the force. So I, I don't really see them being that much weaker next year. A, a lot of people have talked up uh, the Reds, you know, all this experience. And for players like Dagoon or Pasami and um, even just the front row and um, Angus Blythe, like they've got a lot more game time, so they'll be a lot better. But the Brumbies just have such an impressive 23. Like the fact you've got Nick White on the bench, Slipper on the bench, uh, Carter and Kunzel on the bench. Like they just, they really can close out a game. So I'd probably still have the Reds a second. 
Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. I I question the consistency of the uh, Reds. I think that they obviously have improved near the tail end of the season because they had that great run of form. But even just in some of the performances, I wasn't always sold that they were able to put whatever game plan or execute their game plan uh, consistently like we know the Brumbies generally can. So I would be still having the Brumbies ahead, but it's it's tighter. And yeah. uh, it would be, I, I can see it going either way, but I expect the Brumbies to be first next year, but with the Reds sniffing at their heels very closely. Now, uh, did we did we finish the work-ons question then? Or was it over to me for my ideas on work-ons? Is that where we're at? Yeah, we're still going to hear from you, Andrew, I think. What, what do you uh, want the Reds to build on? I think the Reds need to sort their uh, stuff out and actually sign Brad Thorne again for next season. The fact that he is not yet confirmed what his contractual status is for 2021 is pretty ridiculous. <laughs> and um, it would not surprise me knowing the coaching issues that the Reds have had over the last like 10 years if somehow Queensland just stuff this up and uh, Thorne goes to the Broncos or he goes and coaches somewhere else Um, because he has been instrumental in forming and shaping this new team when we spoke with Liam Wright he was very very positive towards the the connection that the players, that many of the younger players had with Brad Thorne. They'd spent time with him in NRC. They they but basically saw him as almost like a mentor or semi-father figure. And I just think that if Thorne moves on, then that's a really big blow for the Reds next season and for Australian rugby. Because like you said earlier, Rev, a lot of these Reds players are justifiably in contention for starting Wallaby spots or at least in a mm. Wallaby squad or Wallabies 23. And I want to see them do well next year, obviously with the Tars beating them, but I want to, I want to see them do well so that Australian rugby is doing well. And for that to happen in my mind, Thorne needs to be on because I don't think he's a master coach or anything like that yet, but he's on the right trajectory with this team. And I think he needs to at least give it another year, preferably two. I think give them two more years and this will be a team that if Super Rugby comes back in its regular form could be pushing for actually winning the overall competition um, in two or three years, but only if they can maintain the current trajectory that they're on. Those are my thoughts. Nice. Yeah, With the players they've got and the age they're at, they definitely could do that. And I think you're right. They've seen a bit of success with Thorne this year. So if they can keep them on for another two years, you know, feel maybe three positions just, you know, because O'Connor's getting older and they need a few extra reserves, but they definitely can uh, find success in Super Rugby AU and Super Rugby in general. Mitch, your final thoughts? Uh, Reds to win it next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Love it. Let's do it. Good no, um, yeah, I, I just think th- these guys have so much potential and if we can keep them, as you said, Ando, together for another two or three years and just learn from that and then build that the base around them around that starting side get some more experience uh to come off the bench and be able to cover those injuries then i think this team has the makings of of a really good side so wonderful wonderful well gentlemen considering we have all the other teams to get through as well i think we'll finish up the reds chat there um kind of say rev thank you so much for coming on it's been great to have your thoughts good to have some insight from somebody north of the border and uh yeah really appreciate your time Oh, look, it was an absolute pleasure. I'm glad uh, that I could be of assistance. And, and uh, Mitch, anytime you need me to come on after a Reds win over the Tars, more than happy to. <laughs> but, um, I don't think we'll do too many of those in the future. So, um, 
We might not have okay. you on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This might be a one and done. <laughs> well, thanks so much, guys. And uh, let's move on to the next team. Cool. Okay, and now we're going to have our final review of the Super Rugby AU season. And we're going to go with the competition champions, the ACT Brumbies. And with us, we have Nick Wasilia from Green and Gold Rugby and many other rugby fame. Nick, how are you tonight? I'm good, mate. Thank you for having me on. Absolute pleasure. Now, for people who may not know you, can you tell us who you are and why we should care about your opinion as a Brumbies fan? <laughs> uh, well, I'm a rugby fan first and foremost, but I uh, work uh, on Green and Gold Rugby predominantly and also a little bit with rugby.com.au running their club corner uh, uh, column. But I mostly am known for running the Green and Gold Rugby news, news for a while and also so been around for a couple of years. I love talking NRC, have had many a debate on NRC. Um, but yeah, so that's me in a nutshell, pretty much. <laughs> awesome. What's your Brumbies background? Because you're Sydney based, aren't you? Uh, yes, so I am Sydney, Sydney based, but I grew up down south. Uh, so my one of my earliest uh, rugby memories when I was uh, growing up was having Eddie Jones uh, come to my school. And awesome. this is back when he was, uh, this was back when he was the Brumpies coach. Um, wow. so you just have the memory of him in the tracksuit coming towards you with that cheeky grin that Eddie had. <laughs> still, still hasn't grown any hair. Um, and that was it for me. Um, and I've been a fan ever since then. Um, and even though I moved to Sydney, uh, you know, a couple of years back and still get flack for it, <laughs> um, which I love, I love it. I love, I always love the, always love getting on it. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's such great fun watching the Brumbies. I've always been a massive supporter of them. They're the team that got me into rugby from a young age. I love them. It's a good team to support. They've had a lot of success over the years and it's much more fun supporting the Brumbies, I think, than it is supporting the Tars right now. So all power to you, my friend. Well, um, why don't we jump on in? And I'm going to do a bit of a review of the Brumbies season before I then throw it uh, back to you, Nick, to see whether you agree or disagree with my commentary. But from the eight Super Rugby AU matches regular season, they finished six and two. So six wins, two losses. Now they finished top, although honestly, I don't think they were entirely convincing throughout the season, particularly in the first hit out against the Rebels. And they only just pipped the Waratahs and the Reds by like two and one point respectively. Um, They also lost to the Rebels in the second game. And now I was thinking about this in advance and some can argue that winning tight games is a mark of experience and quality, but I also think it showed that there were some weaknesses in the execution for the Brumbies and that some of their players were either out of form or having Alessio injured was a really big blow for their season as well. Now they lost the final regular round 26-7 to a pretty high quality or on form, red hot form Reds team before their experience in composure shone through to win the final 28-23. So all credit to them. They were the best top of the ladder and they went through and finished it. But maybe some creaking of the finely tuned cogs of the Brumbies outfit. Nick, what say you? Um, honestly, I agree. Uh, so I, I am by nature um, uh, incredibly critical like I would look at the the performance of the Wallabies smacking New Zealand last year by a record margin, and I'd say more, not enough. You need to keep going. Um, and I take the same approach um, here when it comes to the Brumbies. Um, I think it's you know they they definitely did, were playing well, and I think they are you know in terms of how they've been this season, both in terms of 
how they were pre-Super Rugby AU with the normal Super Rugby competition before they uh, before that got cancelled, and with Super Rugby AU itself, they were uh, pick of the Australian teams. But I think they can do better, mm-hmm. um, and they still aren't quite a shoe in to win. You know, if we were doing you know the Super Rugby competition where we were playing against the Kiwi teams, I wouldn't call them a shoe in to win it. No. Uh, yep. Yeah. By any sense, I mean. Yeah, I think, I think they're still a little way off from being title contenders, but they are still playing excellent. Now, that's led us really well into the first kind of question or thing that we're going to be discussing, which was the overall performance or thoughts of the Brumbies. So, Nick, what would you give them as a score out of 10 for their season? Um, so, I was having a bit of a long and hard think about this. Um, <laughs> I was thinking, if, if, you, if you allow me a tiny bit of leeway, uh, <laughs> a strong 7 to a very light 8 is what I would give them. Um, kind of, I was always think, I was thinking about where they were during the, the, the original season. They were second on the ladder. They'd just come off a victory over the Chiefs in Waikato. They'd thumped the Tars, which made me very happy. <laughs> cleansing was beautiful, um, cleansed my soul. And they were actually, but the, the point was that they were really starting to look like genuine title contenders, um, which was really positive and constructive to see. So, Starting Super Rugby AU, we actually were joking on our Dropped Kickoff podcast. We had a fan kind of message us on Gaga and basically asked the question, who is going to face the Brumbies in the, in the grand final and why is it the Queensland Reds? <laughs> was that Reg who sent that? No, <laughs> no but it, it was probably, it was probably a, a Gaga regular who you know, always loves a bit of lip. But, and what was great was while we all pretty much were of the opinion that it was going to be a Brumbies-Reds final. But while the end result was what I and, you know, many others expected, the road to get there um, was very, very, very unpredictable. And I loved every... Um, while I wanted, obviously, the Brumbies to win as a fan, um, as a supporter of Australian rugby, it was just so enjoyable and reaffirming to see how close the competition was. Yeah. Every, every team, every team had their moments. Um, I was incredibly impressed with the Waratahs, their growth over the course of this year. I mean, during the, the previous season before it got cancelled, they were a bit all over the shop, but they were clearly rebuilding. But they just got some confidence. They played some really good footy. Um, the, obviously, the Rebels uh, were shaking off some of their consistency problems that they've had in the past and were actually starting to win more regularly. The Reds are just bursting at the seams with talent and uh, were starting to show that game plan. And even the Force, I mean, the Force, you know, they're, effectively, they were cobbled together very, very quickly um, to, have a, to, to have a competitive squad. And the fact that they still produced some great rugby and challenged even, you know, the likes of the Brumbies in the games they played, I think was a testament to that we actually have a lot more, there's a lot more strength to Australian rugby in when it comes to the player depths than we think there is. And mm. it was really a great affirming competition um, and a great exhibition of how good rugby could be. Um, and that the times ahead are looking better for us. I think so. I think a big part of the strength of the Super Rugby AU competition is the fact that we're not getting spanked by New Zealand teams every week or every other week. And so there is that element of being able to build up that confidence playing against teams, which is which are good. They're competitive teams. Like the, none of the Australian teams are bad. Um, it's just they the, the quality of New Zealand is something else. Yeah. And so having a competition where we're not having to play them all the time, I think 
is actually very positive for the development of Australian rugby. So that's why, I mean, I know this is a bit tangential, but if we look into something like the Super 8 competition next year, so you have the like top few teams from the Super Rugby AU and Super Rugby Aotearoa competition come together as a playoff series, then I think that's probably the best of both worlds. for Or even South Africa. Yeah, yeah, South Africa too. Yeah, Um, I think that's yeah. I don't think that's necessarily a bad way forward for Super Rugby. I know that they're talking about so many different versions of it, and so many. There's too much hearsay going around. I know apparently South Africa's off to join the Pro 14 now. There's so much stuff going on, but you know, we got a sense already that there were that the times are changing um, Mm. in terms of the next. selection and bunch of players coming through. I mean, Brumbies beat the Chiefs in White in New Zealand. The following week, the Rebels beat the Highlanders in Dunedin. And then who can forget that the Reds nearly beat the Crusaders in Christchurch. Um, things are changing. These guys are, are starting to believe. They're starting to play together. They're starting to play as, as confident, more confidently and more and trusting each other a bit more. I think it's a really, it's an increasingly positive time. I just hope the fans uh, return and, and give these guys a chance because they're going in the right direction. You know, I think that's also the, um, the beauty of this domestic competition as well is that it's on on a Saturday and a Friday. So you've got rugby on and there's been so many people throughout this super rugby AU season who, who don't even know who's playing or, where it's being played, but they'll tune in because they know it's on. They're like, there's some rugby on 7.30 or 7 o'clock on a Friday. I'll tune it on and I'll watch. I don't know who's playing. I don't really have a team in the race, but I'll put it on. Whereas before, you're like, oh, I'll chuck it on at 7.30, watch the Waratahs. And no, they're, they're off in South Africa and the game kicks off at 2 o'clock in the morning. There's like 10 blokes in, in, um, in Sydney watching it who are either just getting home from work or out on the, out, out at the, uh, on the, on the drink. So. And, and, and don't even get started about the fact that you, with the original thing, you need, I think you needed like seven or eight different, different tables to actually figure out what was going on. Was, yeah. When it got to the last few rounds, you had to get the calculator. Out and to, yeah. It's like, Oh, who, oh is, is this mathematical chance here? Oh, what a man. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, why don't we shift on now and look at some of the highlights of the season. So, Mitch, I'll throw this one to you first. Actually, Mitch, I didn't ask you for your score out of 10. What was your score out of 10? Uh, I, have, I actually don't have one yet. I haven't put it together. I'll, I'll go with a... I'll have to go with an 8, I think. Yeah, cool. Um, you know, they, they won the comp. They, they were top all the way through. Everyone expected them to be there. They, they won it. They did what they needed to do. But there were still a few blips along the way, so... The Waratahs came ridiculously close in Sydney and then the Reds showed really touched them up in, in the last game of the year. So there's there's some cracks that are sort of coming in there, which I think is why they didn't get a nine or a 10, but um, they, they did enough to win it. So, All right. Know. Let's shift now, mate, to the highlights of the season. And Mitch, are you right if I start with you on this one again? Yep. Uh, is there a particular highlight of the Brumbies that really really caught your attention and caught your fancy? Yeah, so the highlight was going down to the, uh, nearly going down to the Tars. I thought that was really great. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's 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 that sucks for you. <laughs> that's your highlight. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, look, nothing jumps out at me. I I don't. Yeah, I don't. We'll go to Nick first, and I'll have a think about it. Yeah, cool. Nick, over to you. Well, it would be really easy for me to say the grand final. That's like, that's just boring. I'm not going to do that because that is just boring. It was still an outstanding game though. Um, that red side is just 
it's ridiculous how much talent they have. Um, and frankly, to be able to shut them off, particularly, you know, when they were really coming back in that second half was good. I actually am going to go with where Mitch was starting, which was <laughs> those wins over the Tars and then um, over the Reds. Matt Hansen's I'm, kick from the side. That was crazy. I'm going with those for a really a, one really specific reason. They did not deserve to win either of those. Let's yep. let's be honest. The Tars outplayed the uh, the Brumbies on the paddock. They outenthused them in the forward pack. Um, Harrison had a blinder, um, and it added to the fact that that was the game that Lalesio got injured. And yet, and yet, they still won. <laughs> and what what that made me realise was they that the Brumbies in those games were doing something that is really really encouraging. The, they were playing very Crusader-like. Um, the Crusaders have this w- incredible ability if they, to wither a storm, wither whatever the, the opposition will throw at you, and then come back and hit you hard and somehow find a way to win the game. That's, how they, that's one of their key ways that they play and, and one of the key ways that they win games. The ability to trust, the, the, the actual ability to trust the game plan, to adjust the game plan, to play a bit more dimensionally and trust in the system to see them home uh, is something that is really, really encouraging and really awesome. To, um, and really, those ga- if, if, both of, if they had gone down in both of those games, then the result of the entire season would have been very different, mm. in all honesty. Um, and the fact that they were actually able to show that grit and somehow produce uh, wins from games where they were really kind of shut out of it for most of the season against both really talented sides in the Tars and the Reds, um, I think is really encouraging and also really exciting in terms of giving that team confidence to believe that they can win those games you know, when they when they go up against you know other opposition next year. I think it and see what you're taking from it is like in my my initial overview, I was saying how you can kind of read those close close wins both ways. You can see it as a very as a strong point of encouragement to be taking away or or you could be seeing it as potentially issues within their um, execution of what they're trying to achieve. And I think I more so want to be agreeing with you that it's really pleasing to see an Australian team have that capacity to still win a game, even if not everything is going in their favor, because too often, particularly on a national level, we see the Wallabies crumble if things don't fall in their favor. And it, whilst it wasn't always pretty, and I'm not sure if the Brumbies uh, would necessarily be called a pretty rugby team, uh, except for Pete Samu's excellent tucked in shirts. Um, I don't think anyone calls them more pretty, so. (laughs) Yeah, but at the same time, it's bloody effective. And there is a, there is a clinical execution of that, which definitely needs to be applauded. Um, So why don't we shift now to the players? I was just going to, I was going to say, a bit of a jab that the highlight for me was that they scored some tries that weren't off a mall this, this year. So <laughs> that was, uh, that was good to see that they could actually spin it out the back and Falafi Ingle wasn't the only one on the scoreboard. <laughs> I do love that. But <laughs> going back off your point though, is, uh, and this was kind of a key thing that I wanted to touch on a little bit is game adaptability. Um, so kind of touching on your point on the, on the Wallabies, they did, I think the key thing that undid them often, particularly under check was that they had a very one dimensional game plan. Um, they were going to say, we're going to run it. We're going to play fast, aggressive, entertaining rugby. And that's how we're going to do it. Um, if you can't adjust, uh, to a team that is clearly done its research on you 
and is shutting down your opportunities to play the style of rugby you want to play, what do you do? Um, so, and that's where I think the Brumbies did, also did incredibly well because they relied quite heavily on set-piece dominance. They like going off the scrum. They love going to the mall. They love going off with the line-out. Um, in that Tars game, they didn't get that. Mm. In that Tars game, the, the Simmons had a great game in the line-out, uh, uh, had great work controlling the line-out. Their scrum was excellent. Um, and then added to it, they lost, they lost you know, Noah Lalesio as well, um, which affected their back line a bit. And what did they do? They just adjusted, withered the Tars pressure and then found a way to get back into it. That's the, the hallmarks of what I think is a good rugby side because you're not just uh, you're not just kind of panicking. You're adapting your game plan, plan and playing smart, yeah. um, which is really important. And that's what and that actually happened on you know multiple occasions throughout the season and arguably in the grand final as well. Um, they withered the storm that the Reds threw when the Reds came back in that second half and just ground them down, which is I think really important. I definitely would say that the, the Brumbies were probably the smartest team in Super Rugby AU this year. The Reds lost this, the final from off a silly mistake. The Waratahs made numerous silly mistakes throughout the years. The Rebels were hot and cold all the time. Um, but the Brumbies really, for the most part, were kind of very composed throughout the whole season. So, definitely. I think what we might do now is shift across to the players who surprised you, good or bad. Now, I just want to start off and um, say there was, without a doubt, one player within a Brumbies that really had his star shining brightly in a night sky down in, down in Canberra. And that person so much is so Ryan Lonigan. So much so that he didn't even make the final. Shush. Three. Shush. <laughs> I love Ryan. He is my favorite. Um, <laughs> I just have this weird fanboy Man thing for crush. Ryan Lonergan. Yeah, look, look, he's great. Um, I've just been really, really impressed with the Brumbies, but the two players that I actually was really, really, um, I'm not even sure if surprised by, but I was really pleased to see Will Miller do well down at the Brumbies after his kind of just almost nothing time at the Waratahs. It seems to be a hallmark of the Waratahs that, yeah. that decent players, they're at the Tars and then they move somewhere else and become really good players. Um, so you saw that with Ire Simone, you saw that with um, Will Miller. Who was the forward um, that went across to New Zealand again? What's his name? Um, um, Angus Tarbo. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. So oh, yeah. it's just a Waratahs thing. We suck at player development. But the great news is that that means the Brumbies had Will Miller and he was, he was excellent here, I thought. And obviously along with Lalesio would be the two um, that I would be kind of giving some raps towards. Nick, who were some of the players that stood out for you or surprised you, good or bad? Well, I'm going to stick with Will Miller for a moment because he was a big one uh, for me. And uh, like I've literally drawn, put, put three exclamation marks next to my notes. <laughs> um, and, and I'm going to touch on this a little bit further. Um, one of the key successes that have always worked for the Brumbies is, and you know, it's, it's actually, it is this game management. So when Miller, Will Miller was signed, he basically had, had said, when I was at the Tars, they basically said, oh, we need someone to basically fill in the role of a loose forward um, and you're playing. And, but the moment that he signed with the Brumbies, they basically said to him, this is why we're picking you. This is what we want you to work on. And this is where we think you can insert yourself into the game and improve your style of rugby. So it wasn't just a matter of, uh, of just selecting a player who can play in a loose forward, uh, who can play as a loose forward and then play on talent. They're going, they're actually, there's, a, there's more of a reason to picking the player because they actually want to see it as a way that can actually benefit. So, and not only that, 
they're developing the player in a way that can actually benefit his style of, of rugby and play to his actual... Now, I think this is something that the Waratahs are, are actually improving on, particularly over this last year or so, because you've seen... We saw, we saw over this season there was a lot of um, constructive cohesion. And this is a problem that, all, that most Australian rugby franchises have. I mean, the Reds... Um, until Thorne came along and they took advantage of a lot of those NRC boys who'd been playing together and, pl- and building a game plan out of that. They suffered from the same, issue, uh, from the same issues. It's just knowing the, the playing stock that are there and working to that. And I think that is a big factor as to why Will Miller has done so well at the Brumbies because the Brumbies from the get-go knew exactly what they were going to do with him and exactly where to improve um, uh, as a key point, which I think is a reflection in, has been reflected in the fact that he's just done so well. He's played so well for them. Mm. Who else would you be saying then? So you got Will Miller with the echoing of that. And I mean, I agree that the Waratahs have been better this season in player development, but historically, yes, they have undoubtedly been poor. Um, who else has been surprising for you, good or bad? Well, another one that did surprise me uh, on the good side of things um, was when Lalesio went down, I was pretty i was quite concerned because we always talk about this uh, the fly half depth has always been something that we have been worried about especially over the last couple of years um and and then up stepped uh bailey kunzel um who while yes he he wasn't as flashy as the um he he played more of a workhorse Lalesio is a bit fla- he's quite a flashy player he directs traffic well he can find himself in space very kind of almost kind of larkham-esque um whereas Kunzel is not as flashy, but he knows he knows how to direct a backline. And on top of it as well, he just there was something about his style that just really still managed to mean that the, still allowed the Brumbies to adjust and work with it. So I had a chat with I had a chat with with Brett McKay after this, and basically said that down down at Brumbies camp, Noah and Bailey would have probably been literally working together the entire time for the entire purpose of, in the event that one of them got injured, the other one would slot in. But also, going off that point of player development, they would be learning off each other too. Um, so while, yes, they are also competing for the same position, they are also benefiting and learning off each other by being in, by being in close proximity and working together, which meant that in the event that one of them would be injured, there would be plenty of capability for the other one to step in and do the job just well, which was really... Um, we could also talk about Pete Samu uh, in terms of players that were good. Um, and I absolutely loved watching him play. He is... Surely he's going to be a Wallaby... Oh, he's in contention to be a, a Wallaby run-on, I think. He's just so good. He's so fantastic. Um, he's so aggressive. Um, and then kind of lastly is the, the kind of a player that really stood out to me was um, in the forwards, Alan Aloatoa. Is skipper. Um, I, you know, pro- really a lot of your set piece, go, you know, do's and you, know, you, you start and end with your with your tight head. Um, and the amount of work he did, particularly around the scrum, uh, was really impressive. Um, and additionally, his his role, his role as captain as well, I think, as a real steady hand to steady the ship. I think it was as well played a very was very positive. Um, in terms of leading from the front and encouraging the players to, even when they were being shut out of games, to being like, no, we got this. We know what to do. Let's keep playing like... Um, There were a lot of players that I thought stood up really. And it's really encouraging, again. Mitchell, I'm going to throw this one to you, mate. Yeah, there's not really anyone else that, apart from that you both have mentioned, um, I was really impressed with Noel Alessio, uh, Alan Altoa as well. 
he's just leading very, very well, like Nick was saying. Um, Kuandrani was in and out. So I think I'll start on the, the sort of not bad, but like, like I don't think there was any particular bad plays for the Brumbies this year, but maybe not as, not as good as everyone was expecting. Kuandrani tops that list for me. He just, he was hot and cold all season. He sort of fell away from form. He, he finished strongly. He played quite well in the final, but he, yeah, he just, for a player of his experience, they probably needed a lot more from him. Nick, what's your read on Tabita Kurandrani and his form? As somebody that probably knows the workings of the Brumbies a little bit more, I mean, everybody is shocked at his non-inclusion within the Wallaby squad and uh, Len Nikitao being included over him. Um, it was very, very surprising from the outside. And then Dan McKell is saying that, oh, no, he hasn't been dropped. He's just not in the squad for two weeks because he has work-ons. I don't know what being dropped is, if that's not it then. Um, so can you give us some insight or thoughts on uh, Tavita Kurandrani? Look, I mean, I, I have a real thought for him, in all honesty, just because, you know, I, you know what I have watched him for years playing. And, you know, he's a, he's a great player and a great ambassador for the game. Um, I think pretty much though after the 2015 World Cup was his peak. Um, uh, that's and that's not a reflection on him. That's not a reflection on on his commitment or him as a player. It's just there within, particularly within the context of Australian rugby, there's just a lot of other positions at centre that have just really shown themselves to be uh, a lot more of a hard hitting sledgehammer, mm. similar to the likes of um, um, Karevi. Karevi, thank you, Samu Karevi, um, and. That's no, that's no that's no slouch on on Tabita Kirinjani. He's still an excellent player. I think it's just the fact that right now there are just it's a very comp- that's one of the, the places in the in, in Australian rugby where we actually have a lot of depth. Mm. And he, you know he's going up against the likes of Simone and like you mentioned Ikatel, who's been in great form. Like Ikatel is he's a fantastic player. He was excellent for um, the Canberra Vikings in the NRC, um, and he actually complemented and worked with you know Simone very well. Um, which I think is a big factor is into his selection because I know I can I can tell that Simone would probably be something up for up, you know a player in, in consideration for that. It's not I don't think it's it's just I think the fact that is that he's just not at their level at right now. And that's and, and you know what that's fine that's okay. It's he's still a great player and you know the fact that he's going to the force I think the force will benefit hugely uh, from having a player like that in their backline. I was also just wondering if a part of it is because he's such a big frame. He is one of those kind of destructive, hard-running number 13s, like your Karevi, like your kind of Ben Teo over in England. Um, I just wonder if with the advent of this really fast rush defence that we've been seeing over the last 12, 24 months on the international scene, um, if Rennie is wanting to be do that, uh, to be doing that as a defensive strategy for the Wallabies, I just wonder if maybe he didn't have the cardio to meet what they were expecting of the outside backs or the centers for that type of strategy if they were going to go down that path i mean potentially it's i mean he he's been i mean it is he is kind of getting into the latter stages of his career and even at that level to 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 stay to to be a uh, a center out there is a huge amount of work and we don't see many uh, players probably with the exception of maybe ashley cooper um still fulfilling that role. Um, so I think that's probably the case. Um, again, though, no slouch on him as a player. Yep. I think it's just the case that everyone, like other players in that role are just playing better now and can actually match to that style, whatever that may be. 
uh, that Rennie wants to work. I think a lot of the surprise that came with his non-selection was just because he's so well-loved within the Australian scene that everybody loves the K-Train and recognise... He's been playing since, what, 2012, I think it is, for the Brumbies. And he is just uh, been such a great stalwart of the Australian super scene. And, I don't know, everyone loves him. He's always got a big smile on his face. Um, The (laughs) other player who kind of didn't perform to my expectations in Super Rugby AU was Tom Banks. Now he has, I think he had an injury at the tail end of the regular season before it was cut off, like a foot injury, I think. Yeah, yeah, which is why Hanson was at fullback for a few of the early games, pretty sure. Um, And I just don't think he actually, even even by the final, I don't think he was to form. I didn't really see anything from him that particularly impressed me. And beyond, I don't think he's reached the heights that we saw at the tail end of last season or even at the beginning of the main super season this year. And I... If he's going to be taking the field for the Wallabies um, in the championship, rugby championship, I, I don't know how I feel about that at this point. I just don't mm. think he's got the form right now. If it was the end of last season, yes, I'd be going for that. Not a problem at all. Um, I, just, I just wasn't sold on him. And maybe I'm being too critical. Mitch, what do you reckon? I'm, I'm glad you said it. I had him <laughs> on my list, but I'm glad it's come from you. I'll just say that I agree. All right, Nick, now, are we, wear, are we just being harsh Waratahs fans? <laughs> you can wear know. it all. Well, no, I don't think he's been playing badly. I mean, I know he has been coming back from injury. The guy is, he's a bloody good player. But I also think it's also a reflection of the fact that we've been watching a lot of other fullbacks um, in other squads uh, play really well as well by comparison. Um, like, I think Higgity down at the Reds, I think, played had a pretty decent season. Um, and then at the Waratahs, um, Jack Maddox. Yeah, it's Maddox, isn't it? Yeah, um, Maddox. I mean, he was he, hot and cold, but yeah. He was he was a bit hot and cold, but when he was on, he was on. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and that was really impressive to watch. So I still think he is, he's I think he's still worth consideration. And he's been on the radar of being in the Wallabies a long time. I've, if you're coming back from injury and is only so many, it was a very short season. It was a very weird season, mm. um, in all honesty. Um, it is very fine that can be and find that for player. Um, I reckon, though, if, if he, with him in the Wallabies, um, actually having those players around him and actually being able to get more time under the belt, obviously not game time, but get some more game, but more time in terms of the national team, the water good and give him that, that tiny little push. We know he's capable. Agreed. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm just not, I'm not sure if I'm being harsh on him. I just have high expectations because I know the quality that he's capable of. And I just don't think he delivered it um, in the Super Rugby AU season. So Andrew, uh, if you're saying you're not selecting him at fullback, who would you be putting in there? Um, I think if you're going to have two pretty untested, well, actually, no, you'll have Corabetti on one wing because yeah. he's and going Dungunu. to be there. And you're probably going to have Dungunu on the other. You need somebody who's strong and safe under the high ball and has got a pretty big boot. And so I'd be going Haylett, Petty, Banks, Hodge in that order as my three. Um, and yeah. Cool. So if, if you'd had someone that was more of an out and out, uh, well, sorry, you had someone that had a more varied skill set instead of Dungunu, then I think you could have Banks at 15. But yeah. I think if you're having those two as your wingers, you've got to have Haylett Petty at 15. Um, anyway, anyway, okay, let's move on to the work-ons for 2021 because we've been having a good old chat, but we don't want time to get away from us. So um, let's just, I'll throw this back over to you, Nick. What do you think are some of the things that the Brumbies need to be working on for next season? And we're making the assumption that it is another Super Rugby AU competition for 2021. Um, so in terms of work-ons for 2021, there are kind of going back to what I mentioned at the start, there 
there is the makings of a side that is so close to being a championship contender if we were talking normal Super Bowl. But there, that consistency is a problem. And I'm going to kind of highlight three specific games where that consistency was called into question over the course of this season. Um, their loss to the Highlanders uh, in Canberra during the Super Rugby before it was cancelled. Um, was a, they were a bit of a mess and they basically spent the entire time chasing the game and failed to adjust their game plan uh, adequately in, in time to actually be able to save it. Um, the Rebels' loss, uh, where they got, got dusted up at, at Leichhardt, um, I actually I think that it was the Brumbies didn't play very well in terms of a similar, it was a similar issue of adjusting the game plan, but at the same time, the Rebels were on fire that night. Yeah. Um, at, at some points, you, 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 even if you are adjusting the game plan, the Rebels just were absolute class that night. And you, it's just the simple case of just being done up, done up by a side that was better. The Reds game, on the other hand, was trash. Um, actual, actual, genuine trash. No adaptation. Uh, when the Reds were taking control of the game, the Brumbies weren't responding, were, were not really responding to it. Um, and by the time they did make any sort of response to it, the game was over. It was too late. That's uh, that, that game is a problem and it could be seen as a blip, but I do think that it is a problem that needs to be addressed. If you want to win uh, championships, if you want to win Super Rugby time, uh, you can't have an off game like that. You can't have off moments like that because that can be the difference between winning, you know, coming first in a season and, you know, coming fourth. And I mean, that was a big, you know, they had those moments where they stood up in that, Waratah game in that Reds game, but going back to that point, what if they'd lost those games? What if they hadn't been on point with that? Then the season would have ended very, very differently for them. So what needs to, what I think they the key thing they need to work on, I think it was particularly uh, McKellar and the, and the coaching staff. If they're coming up against a side that is really working, has really done their homework on their first style of game plan, and, and even in, in sorts, if they have done their homework on them, and you're not, you're not playing rope-a-dope rugby, you, they need to be able to adjust to that game plan very quickly. And then also, once they do that, be just more aware of the side that they're playing, um, which sounds very simple. It sounds like a simple thing to fix, but really, it's, it's, it, this is quite a difficult, more complex fix. This is not, you, you are dealing with players who can play extremely well and dealing with players who know their game plan, know their structure, know what to do. Um, but it's more around real game adjustment, smart rugby, and, and being aware of that. And I think that is something that they still need to work on. That being said, if they get that, then they're a genuine title. That's the big difference. Yep. Mitch, are there particular positions that you think the Brumbies need reinforcement in for next year? Ooh, particular positions. Um... I mean, I'll throw lock out there straight away. Uh, yep. Obviously, they've lost a couple of locks over the last season. So you've had um, Who has Swain, uh, Swain and Frost have been pretty good, but Frost is still a youngin, yeah. and he's learning very much on the job. But if they get one injury, like if Caden Neville goes down, then the lock ranks are very, very thin. So I think they could do with one experience quality lock coming in. Um, any thoughts on other positions? You should have thrown me. Um, the 10, 10 positions, quite quite um, stable, really. We've seen that this year when Alessio was out of there. Um, Kunzul did quite well. So, um, not really. I mean, I would I would potentially say hooker, which I think has been a bit of a, um, a theme across all of the Super Rugby sides at the moment. We don't have a lot of hooker depth. But the, players, the players that are starting for the Super Rugby sides are okay. 
but they're not outstanding. And then if one of them gets injury and the replacements just generally aren't quite up to scratch, there's a bit of a, a, a level gap there. So potentially say hooker, if I was looking at a particular position. I thought you were a Connell McInerney fanboy, Mitchell. How dare you just throw shade at Connell? How dare you? you <laughs> How <want>? dare you? <laughs> um, awesome. Nick, over to you, mate. Who do you think, uh, if you were to target some specific positions that they could have some personnel reinforcement, what position or which positions would they be? Well, the two, well, you already named one, which was the, which was locks. I think what is, what is beneficial here is, is that the, what's good about for the, for the younger locks that the Brumbies have is that they've got a really solid loose forward unit around them and they've got really solid props around um, which will be really beneficial for those young guys but I do agree that they do need a bit more depth um, in just in not not in the mat, not much just like one or two players um, in terms of a slightly more experienced player or even a guy who's who might be just a little bit green but does have the talent there um, that can to be able to play and match at that level and they do have the capabilities of finding that um, Additionally, as well, even though Tavita has gone and Lenny Katow is a fantastic player in the centres, um, and you do have a Ray, uh, Ray Simone, Tom Wright in there as well, having another kind of guy like that, uh, having like another young, uh, another player in the centres, I think would also be beneficial. Um, just not, not because of, uh, I doubt, Len Katow's abilities. Um, I think he's an excellent player with a lot of potential. Just in the event that something does happen, it's a, it is a high-risk position uh, playing in the centres there. And, you know, having that, uh, that talent there to be able to back him up and, and work to the game plan, uh, similar to what Kunzel did with Alessio, I think probably work with. I think aside from that, they just got to work with the squad that they've got as well, because there's a lot of talent there and there's a lot of stuff to work with. And, you know, I, I'm, it's exciting. It's an exciting, it's an exciting squad. There's not, a, I feel bad. There's not a huge amount I can necessarily criticize yeah. them on because even the, even the guys who, even the sections that are, slightly weaker than other sections still have great plays in them. It's no slouch on, on, you know, on Darcy Swain or, or Ben Hine or any of those guys. Good players um, as well. I wonder if Solomon Ikata is going to be the 13, the, the other 13 to go with Lynn, Lynn Nikitao for next season. Cause he had a couple of games when yeah. um, Kurundrani was out. He started what those two games at yeah. 13 and they have, who have they got? They've got Wright and who's the other winger? Um, uh, oh, Andy Muirhead. Yep, yeah, Muirhead. And so you've got two good class wingers there. I just wonder if they have Cutter as kind of a, uh, a barnstorming winger who can also play 13 and move him a little bit closer into the action. I wonder if he would need to have more variance in his game there. Uh, he doesn't, in my mind, seem to have a passing or a kicking game at all. Mm. But there's Not a lot to be game. said for power and strength. Yep. Um, He's a sledgehammer. He's a yep. sledgehammer. He's similar to um, Nayavoro. Yep. Um, yeah. No, just and like again, Nayavoro. He knows what he does. He's bloody <laughs> good at it, and it's a pleasure to watch when he slams the ball. Just run um, straight. Just run straight and just let them see the dirt. Um, the I think he do, like I do agree uh, that I think he needs a bit more. But that being said, I'm totally happy with him staying out on the wing at the same time as well because he's such a good finisher. He knows what yeah. to do, which is which is so great. It's, it's, it's kind of the right problems to have with this squad sometimes because they do have so much talent that it's a matter of just who goes where, even, yeah. the, even yeah. if it comes to the, the case of some guys missing out. All right, I'm going to wrap this up now. And Nick, um, I've got two, well, one definitely, maybe two questions for you. The first one, have you watched the Wallabies Endgame promotional uh, thing that Rugby Australia put out? 
Oh, like in in patches. I, I, I have watched it, but it was a long, long, long. It was a while ago. Okay. Well, maybe the second question won't won't hit home. But how much did your heart break when Pocock's name tag was taken off the locker, and you realised that no longer will the enlightened human that is David Pocock grace our rugby paddocks? Not at all podcast <laughs> no 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 i'm saying that in a i'm saying that in like he's my favorite player i love him i look up to that man and if, and no don't do that because if you because my heart is broken for the fact that he's never going to be in wallaby's gold again we're not going to no please stop he's it. gone he's gone and that's the thing like i genuinely got emotional watching that and realizing oh my god he's he's really gone He's never coming back onto the... How devastating is that? And you know, I have a, an anecdote which actually broke my heart even more. So Nigel Owens was asked the question about yeah. what his favourite... You know this story, don't you? This World Cup moment, his favourite yeah. World Cup moment. And he talked about how after the end of the uh, World Cup final in 2015, Australia had just lost the World Cup. The first person who comes up to him is David Pocock and says, thank you very much, sir, for a wonderful game. Um, and he just had that moment where he was like, that man just lost the World Cup. He's never, and it turns out it was, he's likely never, ever going to have any chance like this ever again in his life. And he still sticks by the creed of going up to the ref afterwards and saying, thank you very much for a wonderful game. All bloody class. That man, <laughs> all bloody class. Love him. Love him to bits. And I'm, now, now you got me emotional. Now you've done it. <laughs> Now you've done it. Thanks a lot. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, um, mate, why don't we wrap it up there? Genuinely, I thought it'd just be fun to bring up that point. Um, can I just say just to rub Nick, it in a bit? Yeah. No, no, no. Not to rub it in, but to have that shared <laughs> moment, that shared suffering that really bonds rugby you'll, fans you'll together. You'll have that moment when Hooper goes. You'll have that moment when Hooper goes, and when that does, we're all going to be miserable. It's all going to be sad. Um, <laughs> you have that still to come. So. Well, we've got a few more years of him still, and hopefully his Japan sojourn will uh, give him a few more years on uh, playing in the Australian Afterwards, rugby yeah. as well. Reinvigorate um, the yep, roof yep, his yep. legs. We'll see. But um, why don't we wrap it up there? Nick, can I say thank you so much for your time? It's been an absolute pleasure having you on and getting your thoughts. Um, you are more than welcome to come on anytime you like, mate. Invite yourself. <laughs> Cheers. No, it was great fun. Always, always love chatting footy, no matter day or night. So thank you very much, guys, for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. All right. We'll catch you later. Have a good one. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. You can follow us on social media at the following outlets. Follow our Facebook page at Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. Send us a tweet at at pick underscore drive rugby. Follow our Instagram at pick underscore drive underscore rugby or send us an email at pick and drive rugby at gmail.com we'd love to hear any questions or feedback you may have so get in touch thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next week